The Global North's insatiable appetite for the latest fashion, coupled with gargantuan marketing budgets to continue to promote that kind of consumption, has contributed to massive amounts of clothing waste and pollution. The ripple effect has greatly impacted countries in the Global South. I'm Rebecca Burgess, the founder of a California-based nonprofit called Fibershed. Learn more on the Weaving Voices podcast, a Whetstone Radio Collective podcast. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Jesse Sparks, host of the new podcast, The One Recipe, from the team behind The Splendid Table. This pod is all about that one recipe that you lean on. The one you share with friends, the one you make when you need a little love, and the one you know will work every single time. Every week, I talk with chefs and gifted cooks from all over the world about their one and the story behind it. We're here to help you build your kitchen library one dish at a time. Follow the one recipe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Nectar Corridor, a podcast where we explore the incredible world of mezcal, the most emblematic and diverse spirit of Mexico. I'm your host, Nikki Nakazawa. Today, we continue our Palenque visits with Eduardo Ángeles of La Locura and Cuca Cortés of Mezcal Cortés. In our last episode, we spoke to Lalo and Cuca about the plants they work with and how and where and with what materials they cook them. Now we're going to learn a little bit about fermentation, the native yeasts and friendly microbes that transform sugar into alcohol, and how each maestro approaches distillation. Distillation in Mexico has many origin stories, dating as far back as the 16th century. In Oaxaca, however, many historians contend that the distillation of cooked agave didn't take hold until the early to mid-1800s. Because Oaxaca is such an incredibly diverse state geographically, culturally, and biologically, the plants and tools of the trade change, often dramatically from one community to the next. While Cuca and Lalo live just 70 kilometers away from each other, as we've seen, the differences between how each producer works and the names they give to their plants and processes are many. While it can be challenging to get the hang of all the changing nomenclature, ultimately, this is what makes mezcal so incredibly rich. This podcast was originally recorded in Spanish. Our conversation with Lalo is interpreted by Sasha Desiree. So here we have the maguey already fermenting. In a little bit, we're going to give it a big stir and then we'll mash it. You can see that there's already some liquid forming here. I could immediately smell the presence of alcohol in the mixture. It was a little sharp smelling, kind of like pineapple tapache or kombucha. Yeah, exactly. And you can feel some heat here at the top. What we're going to do now is stir it. This will generate some foam, which signifies the release of gases by the natural process of fermentation. That foam will form a kind of cream that will sit on top and help prevent air from entering. And you'll see that the color is going to change little by little. It starts out kind of yellow, but then it will get much darker. The aromas are going to change too. 
After a few days, this pulp that is forming is going to start to decompose, and it'll form a sticky consistency. This is actually a really important step because we use this pulp to seal the distiller. Without it, you'll have steam leaks, and that will directly impact the amount of mezcal that we yield. As it ferments, yeast turns the sugar and the mash into alcohol. Lalo explained to me that as part of his fermentation method, he uses the wild yeast that have lived on this land for thousands of years. His main job during this process is to make an environment where these native yeast can be happy and thrive. Pues en todos los sentidos, ¿no? Desde el estado de ánimo hasta pues, la parte económica. And those yeasts comida, help us create a drink that makes us happy too. In everything from the state of mind it puts us in to the economic benefits for our community. It's really true that mezcal for us is fuel. Here in Santa Catarina Minas, mezcal has always been made from different species of maguey. The piñas are cooked in pre-Hispanic earth ovens. They rest for anywhere from eight days to two months before being mashed with mallets. Then they are fermented in wooden vats. Fermentation can last anywhere from seven to 25 days. The last phase is distillation, using clay pots. The distiller is composed of different parts. There's a pot that's buried inside an oven, which is shaped like a large mound. Then there's another pot that sits on top of that one, and it acts as a sort of tube. It's open at the top and bottom. Inside that top pot, there's a piece of rope that holds up a little wooden spoon. So if you can imagine, the handle of the spoon sticks out of the bowl while it's inside of the pot. And that's connected to a reed where the liquid comes out. And on top of the open-ended pot, there's a copper bowl where water constantly circulates. And this helps ensure that we have water for as long as it takes for the distillation. So to put it all together, the fermented mash is added to the bottom pot, the boiler pot, and a fire is built below. When that liquid starts to boil, vaporizes through a clay pot on top and collides with a copper pot. This copper pot has cold water in it, so when the vapor hits the cold, it becomes liquid, condenses, and falls into a wooden spoon that comes out through a reed. And the liquid that comes out is the first distillation, which is often referred to as shishe, or común. Pues lo hueles. Esa es la técnica. Lo pruebas y lo hueles. Cuando no tiene mucho sabor, o el sabor es ácido... It's important to smell and taste this first distillation. If it doesn't have much flavor, or if it tastes too acidic, then it's of no use. Even if you can smell alcohol, you have to discard it because it didn't come out right. And if it tastes sweet, but you can't smell the alcohol, then it's also no good. You have to refill the pot and redistill. The process to complete the first distillation takes about 24 hours. Something that stands out about distilling mezcal is that you have to do it both with maguey fibers and the juice combined. Then once you draw out the shishe, you remove everything from the pot and refill it. But first, you have to check that the pots are still in good condition because they're made out of clay, so there's a chance that they might be cracked. 
And you have to be extra careful when you move on to the next distillation, because the pot already has alcohol in it. And if you were to use a broken pot, it could fall into the fire and essentially create a bomb. So, once everything has been checked, we put the shisha inside the pot and do a second distillation. And the liquid that comes out of that second one is called mezcal. Once the mezcal is distilled and composed with heads, hearts, and tails, it usually needs some time to settle. Lalo then bottles it up and labels it with the names of the magueys he's used. Tobasiche, Tobala, Arroqueño, Coyote, Espadín, etc. And then it's ready to share. After completing such a long process, some mezcaleros have rituals that thank the earth for a successful yield. However, as with many things, Lalo has a different take. No, nosotros no tenemos como rituales para antes de tomarlo, o como hacer una ofrenda a la tierra, no. So, we don't have any particular rituals. We don't make an offering to the earth or anything because that involves pouring one out. But we've done so much work to get this liquid, we find that the best way to appreciate it is simply to serve it and drink it. Some people also spit it on the ground as a way of showing thanks, but that is seen as offensive around here. Don't throw it away. Drink it and enjoy it. We want you to be happy and excited to consume our mezcal. This is a drink to have amongst friends, not enemies. And that's a rule that we take seriously. El mezcal no te busca, tú lo tienes que buscar a él. Y que está hecho por humanos, por personas. Entonces, hay que buscar... Mezcal doesn't look for you. You have to look for it. It's made by hard-working human hands. And people should make the effort to seek it out. Fortunately, now we have the internet and social networks to help spread the word of family-run palenques. But with that, you also want to be careful. In this day and age, there are a lot of people in the industry that just want to make money and don't care for the craft, the process, or the tradition. So, when you find the real deal, take the time to appreciate it and especially to appreciate the hard work that was put into it. So much of the consumer market is made up of mass-produced products. Local mezcal producers are rarely included, and it's really tragic. I'm dedicated to preserving what I call the eternity of mezcal. So every little thing we can do helps make that come true. Cheers to Lalo for all of his incredible work and for the insights he shared with us. Fermentation is one of the most delicate steps in the process of making mezcal. In order to attract the right kinds of yeasts and microbes to the party, the agave needs to have been cooked properly and the fermentation vessels must be well tended to. Depending on the sugar content of the agave being fermented, the season, the altitude, and the temperature variance between day and night, the mash can take anywhere between two days to over a month to be ready for distillation. Knowing when the mash is ready requires skill and experience, and is one of the major make-or-break moments for the mezcal. Starting too soon or too late can both result in the loss of yield and the generation of off-flavors. 
While the technologies of observation employed to determine when the mash is ready for distillation are similar across producing regions, the raw material, the fermentation vessels, and the native yeast and bacteria living in each distillery change from place to place, making it impossible to replicate any batch of mezcal. We continue our conversation with Cuca Cortes to learn about her fermentation and distillation process. Our conversation with Cuca is interpreted by Rosina Castillo. Lo vamos a rebanar para machacarlo. Y ya de aquí pues vamos viendo, este probando. So after our cooked piñas have sat in the sun for 15 days, we move on to chopping them up in order to mash them. We want to taste it to see if it's sweet, if it's bitter, if it's ready to be mashed. If it's a small amount of piñas, like anywhere from 10 to 15, we'll use a mallet. Tepestate and Arroqueño are two species of maguey that have smaller piñas, so the wooden mallet makes quick work of it. But if we are working with a large amount, we will use a taona, which is a stone wheel that weighs about a ton and crushes the piñas while being pulled by an ox. Even when working with a small amount of piñas, Cuca says it takes about five hours to mash 10 espadín piñas by hand, and it usually takes all day to mash biquish piñas because they're a lot denser and tougher. So the species of maguey has a direct impact on the amount of physical labor that will go into turning into mezcal. We usually have two workers help me and my dad to mash by hand. Sometimes only one person needs to be working at a time. It really depends on how much we have in front of us. And if we use the taona, the ox takes about six hours to crush everything. Once the maguey is mashed, it goes into a fermentation vat. The vats that Cuca uses, also known in La Pila as pipas, are made of oak. In total, these large vessels can hold about 1,500 liters of liquid. Machaque hoy. After the piñas are mashed, we left them rest overnight. I mashed these today, so tomorrow I will come back to check on them. I make a small hole in the middle and take a deep breath. I put my hand in to check the temperature. If it's hot, that means it needs water, but if it's cold, it means I have to leave it there longer. The process can be tedious, but it's really important to check on it every couple of hours. Because if it gets too hot, you are not going to get the end result you want. Once I add the water, it does the rest of the work itself. I add stones that weigh around 7 kilos on top and leave it be for around 3 to 5 days. I take a look every now and then to make sure everything is still working and to ensure that they don't go to waste. The fermentation process requires both patience and instinct. So how does Kuka know when it's time to distill? So you can see that there are these little bubbles, which means that it's working. And as the day goes by, you'll start to see the mound lower. On the first day, everything is an overdry. But every day after that, you will see less action because it's all slowing down. By day four or five, it's ready to draw out the mezcal. And when it's time to distill, 
Once Kuka starts, she can't stop. O sea, tengo que estar trabajando día y noche. I have to be working day and night to be able to get everything that the pipe is going to give me. This is the most delicate step in the process because if I don't time it right, I could lose all the mezcal. Kuka and her father have a very interesting setup in their palenque. Everything has been designed with gravity in mind. Unlike many palenques that I've been to, which are flat, this one contains a series of vertical levels or steps that allow for gravity to help throughout the process. My father designed all this. He thought about a setup that would make our jobs easier. So the top step has the oven. The second one has the taona, the stone wheel for mashing. Then you go down another step for the wooden mallet. And the next one has the fermentation vats and finally you get to the copper steels. So I am going to add about 10 tambos or barrels of maguey fiber and 3 tambos of water into the pot. I add the turbante, which is a stainless steel cylinder around the pot and seal the lid with mud. And then I add some rags on top to make sure no steam leaks out. And then we move on to distillation. Rather than breaking up the distillation in two parts like Lalo, Kuka and her father work with a continuous distillation system using a refrescadera, aka a cooling jacket. This part can be pretty complicated, so just to set the scene, a copper pot is filled with mash and another pot is sealed on top of it, and this is called the montera, or the cap. The montera has a cooling jacket where water can be added to help condense the vapor that rises into the chamber and to liquid. The montera is attached to a copper arm that then connects to a serpentine-shaped tube immersed in a tank full of cold water. And it's at the end of the tube that the distilled spirit emerges. Mira, ya cuando está todo conectado, o sea, ya está tapado, está sellado. So once everything is set up, the pots are sealed, the tank has the right water level, etc., we light a fire at the bottom. This takes about an hour to warm up. Once I start seeing a little smoke, I open up this little blue thing that's connected to the copper and I let out about half a liter of liquid. And then I add cold water to the cylinder and that's why we call this process refreshing. This cools down the liquid so that it comes out more quickly. And once more liquid has come out, I add more heat to it. And then once I see that's filling up again, I put out the fire with some ash. That's when I start to see a cordon, which is like a uniformity of bubbles that signifies that the liquid is good. I'll taste it and make sure that it tastes really strong. And we end up getting about five total liters. For those of you who aren't familiar, let's take a second to explain some of the tools and terms. A venencia is a hollow implement made from bamboo that looks like a large straw. It's used by maestros primarily to suck up mezcal and the various cuts during distillation and then dispense the liquid into a jicara, or a small bowl, and observe the bubble formation called the perlado. The perlado refers to the bubbles that form on the surface of the mezcal, and depending on the size of those bubbles and the rate at which they break, 
A maestro mezcalero can determine, often with great accuracy, what the alcohol content of the mezcal is. A mezcal with cordon is one where the bubbles are even in appearance, not too big or too small, and fill the entirety of a jicara, in which looks like a honeycomb. This means the mezcal is in su punto, that it's just the right proof. Con la venencia, estoy viendo las perlas que está haciendo. Ese es el cordón. So when I check those five liters with the venencia, I am tasting the flavor and seeing if the perlado looks right. If the taste is too mild, then I will go through another round of refreshing. And then I repeat the steps all over again. I add some water to cool it down. I light a fire to warm it back up. The mezcal comes out and I check the quality of the final product to ensure that we are on the right track. So after repeating this action of heating the boiling pot by relighting the fire and then adding water to the cooling jacket, the refrescadera, to condense out small quantities of the body or cordon, what is left at the very end of this laborious process are the tails, also known as the colas. With how Kuka and her father distill and make their cuts, the colas are essentially distilled water that contain trace chemical components like methanol that aren't used in the final composition of their mezcales. Instead, they're redistilled to obtain a higher proof cut. Once they have collected the colas, the top of the refrescadera is emptied of water and the boiling pot is cleaned and replaced with another round of mash. This part will yield about seven more liters, and then we are left with the colas at the very end. They don't have much alcohol content, it's mostly water, but we do save it in order to use it for the next round. Once we are finished, we break everything down and wash the pots with hot water. We cover it once again with ash and we start the process over again. But one whole round of distillation lasts around six or seven hours. Remember those fermentation vats I mentioned earlier? The ones that hold nearly 1,500 liters? Well, each time that Kuka and her father take the mashed maguey from the vat and add it to the boiling pot, they do so in terms of posturas. A postura is the measurement of the mash used to fill the pot. So for Lalo, a postura in one of his clay pots is approximately 80 liters. For Kuka, a postura in a copper pot is about 250 liters. This means that she and her father literally work around the clock for at least 36 hours to distill all 1,500 liters. Sometimes they're able to take turns, but oftentimes, both of them need to be working simultaneously. Porque como ya son dos ollas... We are usually working on two pots at once. So one of us has to always be cleaning out the mash, or washing the pots, or covering and sealing them, or adding water, or firewood. We are just always on the move, but we try to take turns as much as we can. From harvest to final distillation, it takes us about one month total. When it comes to the final composition of the mezcal, it's really important to check on the perlado to assure that the alcohol content is strong enough. This process can take a couple of weeks because you also want to make sure that the mezcal has cooled down all the way. So after 15 days, you check again and that's when it's ready. 
but you have to approach every step with patience. You have to feel good and be happy for a good mezcal to come out. Thank you so much, Lalo and Kuka, for sharing your time and your incredible mezcales with me. And to our voice actors, Sasha Desiree and Rosina Castillo. Saludos desde las tierras del mezcal y hasta la próxima. The Nectar Corridor is part of the Whetstone Radio Collective. Thank you to the Nectar Corridor team, producer Jackie Nowak, associate producer Rosina Castillo, editors Andres Jimenez and Max Kotelchuk, and research Olivia Mayeda. English translations are by Jackie Nowak, with editorial help from Carlin Crosby and Emily Vizzo. Cover art by Alex Bowman. Thank you to Las Nortanitas de Oro for the use of our theme song, Jinetes en el Cielo. I'd also like to thank Whetstone founder Stephen Satterfield, Whetstone Radio Collective head of podcast Celine Glazier, sound engineer Max Kotelchuk, associate producer Quentin LeBeau, production assistant and Melissa Utinko, and sound intern Simon Lavender. You can learn more about this podcast at whetstoneradio.com, Instagram and Twitter at Whetstone Radio, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Whetstone Radio Collective, for more video podcast content. You can learn more about all things happening at Whetstone Media at whetstonemedia.com. The Nectar Corridor is originally produced and recorded in Spanish. If you'd like to listen to the original interview, you can search for El Corredor del Nectar wherever you get your podcasts.